I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Today, we are discussing non-binary identities and what that means, why it's important for people to recognize it, and just trying to help clear up some of the confusion. And guess what? We have a real live non-binary person. It's me. Straight from the horse's mouth. No offense. Horses are cool. That's not really an insult. It can be an insult, I guess. I don't know. When you call someone like you, you have a horse faced or whatever, that's... Uh, yeah, you, you don't have a horse face. I've never understood what they're talking about when they say that, but... I think maybe like when people have big teeth. I'm yeah, not see, sure. that's rude. That would be really rude. I wouldn't say that. I would not call you horse face even if you had big teeth, which you don't. Okay. I guess I've been thinking about this because, you know, there are more people in visible roles that identify as non-binary. So as it's becoming more kind of prevalent in our society, I feel like that's a good time to kind of talk about it. So people don't have that gut reaction of like, what are you even talking about? We mentioned last time the NBA ref, Che Flores. And then, you know, there's an assortment of other celebrities, actors, Bella Ramsey from The Last of Us. And very cool. And Emma Corrin, who is in The Crown, which I have not seen. And my policeman, which we have previously discussed on this show. A musician, Sam Smith, Janelle Monae. You know, there are quite a few, when I looked it up, quite a few people that have come out as non-binary. It's not important to all of them to go by they, them pronouns, but they do identify that way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's similar to something like bisexuality or pansexuality, where there are probably a lot more people on that spectrum than We knew for a really long time, partially because of like social attitudes and partially just because, you know, if you don't have if you don't have the language, you very well might go through life like, well, you know, I have these like kind of feelings that don't seem like feelings other people have, but they're not actively interfering. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing I found out is that this is an identity that has been around for a long, long time in a lot of cultures. Literally forever, guys. (laughs) So I did a little research on this, as I do. And there are a lot of cultures around the world that have recognized gender other than male and female dating back to ancient, ancient times. And not only have these cultures recognized these other genders, but the people of the third gender have often held positions of honor in their societies. So I have a few examples just really briefly because this was very interesting to me. The hijra of Hindu society, they appear throughout South Asian history. Hijras often leave home to join groups as initiates in new spirituality and assume religious roles, celebrating rituals such as birth and marriage. Some believe that they have the ability to bless or curse others. And really the stigma against them arrived with British colonialism. As it always does. (laughs) As do so many evils. And then the Bugis ethnic group of Indonesia, they actually recognize three genders beyond male and female, Kalalai, Kalabai, and Bisu. Kalalai are born with female characteristics, but present in traditionally masculine ways, even assuming some men's roles in society and transcending some of the restrictions that women have. 
Calibi have male sex characteristics, but occupy a role traditionally occupied by women. However, they don't identify as women or alter their sexual characteristics, and they reject the restrictions that women endure, which is a lovely thing to be able to do. Best of both worlds, right? Apparently, they often oversee weddings. And then the Bisu embody both masculinity and femininity. The Buga believe they transcend other genders, and they hold a spiritual role and are thought to bridge the worldly and the divine. I hope I'm saying these right. The Sakrata of the Sakalava people indigenous to Madagascar. They have male sex characteristics, but after displaying behavior considered typically female as children, they're raised as girls. As adults, they perform ceremonies and are viewed as being sacred and protected by supernatural powers. We'd have fewer political problems if everybody in this society recognized non-binary people as having supernatural powers. I would be in charge of everything, as I should be. (laughs) Finally, your dream would come true. (laughs) And then let's see, the two-spirit of indigenous North American people. They are believed to embody both a male and female spirit. They've held specialized roles in their communities, earning respect as basket weavers and potters and healers, matchmakers, and ceremonial leaders. There were attempts to suppress their way of life during, guess what, colonialism. No way. But they are regaining acceptance in some Native American communities. And then finally, the Bakla of the Philippines possess male sex characteristics, but identify with femininity and often express themselves through feminine dress and behavior. They have historically been thought to encompass male and female aspects and often served as leaders in their communities. So there is a little history of these third or even more genders existing in ancient cultures throughout all time. That is just a sampling. Like there are there are so many, you know, we don't necessarily have a ton of information on all of them or, you know, there are just a couple of weird linguistic references. But I mean, there is so much history of third gender identities. And that's just like a quick overview. But I mean, there you, you could you could do a whole Internet rabbit hole day. Yeah, there is. This is just a sample, like Sienna said. And, you know, it's really interesting, I think, both from a historic perspective, just learning some new cultural things. But also one thing you hear people saying is that this is a fad or a trend, kids deciding to be non-binary. And, you know, I think it's really important to know that this is not new. Yeah, like... That argument has always been wild to me because I I certainly think, you know, there are probably people out there who are like, oh, you know, all my friends are rejecting gender roles. I want to reject gender roles. But that's very different from like the sort of exploration that comes with your gender identity and the deep, you know, cultural significance that it can have. It varies from culture to culture. PSA. White people can't be two-spirit. That's not how it works. Stop doing that. It's gross. Oh, is that um, a thing? That's a thing, yeah. It's like it's like that documentary I was telling you about with the lady who's all like, you know, I believe that I have been Native American. I have been Chinese. I blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, stop. Go away. Anyway. Actually, um, I have, remind me later because that sort of relates to some, one of the questions that I want to ask. So yeah. go ahead. But yeah, I mean, there there's so much stuff that comes along with it. People aren't just like, you know, people people might experiment with different pronouns, totally fine, but people aren't just like throwing on gender identities just for funsies. Like that's no one no one does that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty big thing to take on and I'm sure, you know, it's opening yourself up to 
criticism and snide comments and people making fun of it. And as you know, like we talk about this with, with other queer identities, like maybe there's the rare person out there who puts on this act to get attention, but most people are not going to take on that kind of spotlight if it's not just essential to being authentic to themselves. Yeah. Like, dude, it, I, if it weren't important and meaningful to me, I would not go through the effort of like sharing my pronouns and trying to correct people on pronouns. I mean, honestly, sometimes I still don't because it is just so much work. But I mean, that choice is something that's like constantly in my mind and constantly like a sort of calculus. Like, is it more painful to not correct people than it is to like deal with all this nonsense? Like, no one's dealing with that if they don't have to. It's not a thing. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. So the idea that it's, I don't know, an idea that somebody came up with, like, let's try this is kind of silly. When you said that, though, that reminded me one of the misconceptions that people have is that that is exactly what transgender people are doing. Do you remember that that woman that I don't even remember which organization she worked for, but she claimed to be black? Yeah. And you know, she said, but I really feel that I am. I believe this. And I think that, I think it's really common and easy for people to think that's what's going on with transgender people. Like, well, you just want to be this. And so you've convinced yourself that you're this, but that doesn't mean you are. What's the, like, can you think of from your own experience, the words to explain to people the difference between so convincing yourself that you want to be something because you think it's cool and actually knowing that that is who you are. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, it's important to recognize that, like, race fully is socially constructed. And so, you know, there's not there's not the same kind of scientific evidence of someone who identifies as male tends to have a brain that is consistent with cisgender men. Like, there are kind of much more concrete measurements of that, whereas race is something that, again, is is entirely socially constructed, you know, based on mostly white people showing up and being like, ah, I would like to subjugate you so you are different. And if you actually study other cultures, I'm going off on a little little bit of a tangent here, but if you actually study other cultures pre-colonialization, like, that conception of race is not a thing that exists prior to interaction with Western society. You know, there are certainly understandings of cultural divisions, understandings of they're a different group from us, or we don't like them, or we tend to fight with them. But the notion of they are fundamentally different from us on a biological level, not a thing that comes up until white people show up. So Whereas, like that sort of introduction to the history of gender shows, gender identities are something that have been explored and toyed with and understood in different ways, but nonetheless understood across cultures, right? Like, there's obviously something distinct happening there. You wouldn't have gender roles developing. You wouldn't have third or more gender identities developing across every single society. If there weren't something going on in humans universally that made gender in some way more sort of 
essential. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. No, that makes sense because, I mean, in a society that has room for other genders, there's a place for that. So it's not like you're trying to be the other gender because you want to be the other gender. There's Mm -hmm. there's kind of a place for everything Mm -hmm. or at least more. I feel like the reason that somebody would really want or one reason, I guess I don't I can't get inside the head of why people want what they want. But one reason I can see people wanting to be the other gender is, you know, like women being jealous of the rights and the power that men have. Or, you know, men being jealous of the social roles that women are allowed to be more sensitive or to have these interests or whatever. Like, but if you're in a society that has a place for you outside of that, I would think that would take away the, well, I want to be the other one, not this one. Right. And like, I mean, so think about it from this perspective, like think about Mulan, right? You know, our our classic 90s Disney movie Disney princess. I don't know why she gets labeled as a princess because she's a princess. But anyway, you know, she is disguising herself as a man to obtain the privilege that men have in that society. Incidentally, there's some interesting stuff there. I I attended a talk on this recently at school. Apparently, the way that Disney handles her being a woman revealed is very different from how it's handled in the story. And there's a lot more acceptance of femininity and womanhood in the original kind of mythology behind me. But anyway, not not terribly relevant. Just thought that was interesting. But she is disguising herself to obtain access to privilege. There's nothing in the movie that suggests that she is uncomfortable with being a woman. Only stuff that suggests she's uncomfortable with the expectations of womanhood that society is imposing on her. She is not saying this is like she's obviously uncomfortable embodying traditional masculinity and being perceived as a man, despite the fact that that's sort of what she has to do to survive. And there's other like there are benefits she's achieving. She's not comfortable with that. That's not an embrace of her identity. It's an escape from the oppression that she as a woman is facing. That's entirely distinct from I am a man. I'm going to express myself as a man. I will be happier if I am assumed to be a man. I am not disguising my identity for the sake of survival because it's not a disguise, right? It's an expression, not a disguise. And so to me, that's like the very fundamental difference. Okay. No, that's a good way to explain it. And yeah, I mean, especially now in, obviously we have ways that we could improve, but in society now, I feel like there's enough that you can do as one gender or the other that it's not like, I can't. I don't have access to the things I want unless I'm male, you know? Like I, you know, I grew up in a feminist household, being a feminist, being very actively supportive of women's rights, never really encountering like relative to a lot of other people's experiences, I think. Like, I don't think I've encountered that much sexism throughout my life. And that hasn't stopped me from not identifying as a woman, not because I have something against women, like women are awesome, but it's not something that I identify with. It's not something that I feel the need to escape, except in the sense that it's sort of imposed upon me by other people's assumptions, not about what I should be doing with my life, not about how I should present myself, but the very assumption of womanhood is the only thing that I feel the need to escape. That's interesting. That makes sense. 
I'm thinking of like other questions that just, you know, when I think about it, that I'm like, oh, wait, how does that that work? And hopefully they don't sound really stupid, but who knows? So, and I think there's a lot, I think one of the things that people get mixed up on if they haven't read as much or talked to people of different identities as much is the like sexual orientation versus gender. You know, like I've heard people say about a trans woman, why didn't he just be gay? That's more accepted now. Like, well, I don't, because it's not that. Because if she wanted to just be gay, she'd just be gay. Right. It's not that she had to express herself as a woman. So she's allowed to be attracted to men. It's that she is, you know, yeah. So I think there's a lot of confusion in people's minds that like they're all tied up together when they're actually like distinct things. Gender being gender versus who you're attracted to, who you are, I guess, versus who you're attracted to. Right. I mean, that's that's the fundamental distinction. Well, I'm going to say fundamental distinction here a lot, aren't I? We <laughs> need to come up with other like basic difference. Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to go down that because I'm going to sit here for too long anyway. But I, I think actually to sort of be compassionate to people's confusion, especially coming from an older generation, there is history for a variety of sociological reasons of gender expression and sexual orientation being sort of tied up in one another. So first of all, there is history of people uh, disguising themselves as one gender or another so as to, you know, make a a same-sex relationship work. Even if they're not actively disguising themselves as that gender, there's sort of a pressure, I think, throughout a lot of history, like, well... I guess we'll turn the other eye as long as one of you is like the man and one's the woman. And then, of course, you get into stuff like drag, right? And and the ideas of butch and femme. And again, that idea of like there's a butch and a femme in a relationship. And of course, then also expressing yourself using kind of elements of gender that are incongruous with your assigned sex is also a way of coding to people that like, this person's probably queer. Like, this person might be interested. So, you know, there is a reason that those concepts exist, mostly because of straight people's expectations. But nonetheless, they've also become really important parts of queer expression and identity. So, yeah, I don't know how to, I mean, other than just saying, like, yes, there are people who cross gender boundaries without necessarily having a distinct gender identity. like. That doesn't mean that it's the same. And I mean, you can also be a straight dude and want to present in a more feminine way or be a straight woman who wants to present in a more masculine way. So, I mean, it's important to recognize you have three different categories here, right? You have gender identity. That's sort of your internal understanding of yourself. It has nothing to do with external forces except insofar as they sort of um, assign identities to you and assign expectations to you. Um, Then you have gender presentation, which is how you present yourself to the world. So, I mean, you can identify as non-binary and present exactly as expected, as traditional for someone of your assigned sex, or you can be non-binary and present what would be expected of someone of the opposite of your assigned sex, and you're still non-binary, right? And then you have sexual orientation, which has a lot less to do with 
how you relate to yourself and a lot more to do with how you want to have sex with people. So yeah, it's three fundamentally different and connected, but not really ultimately related things. So for a non-binary person, and maybe this is going to be my dumb question, but so I can see like you could easily still be bisexual. If you're non-binary and you're only attracted to one gender, would you call yourself gay or not? I mean, it depends. There are people who identify as non-binary lesbians, for example, which isn't a thing that I totally can relate to, I guess. It's not a thing that totally clicks for me on an intellectual or emotional level. And I actually have a lot of personal like tension or I'm like, do not call me a non-binary lesbian. I hate that because to me, it feels like being reduced to my birth sex. But it's a thing that some people identify with. And, you know, if their attraction to women then also does interact with their gender identity in that specific way, like, cool, I guess. I don't really care. There are also, and I have not come across these terms for quite a long time. I have no idea how actually widespread they are. Just came across them on the internet one time. But I have seen the terms trixic and toric used to, trixic sounds like Halloween-y to me. I think about the um, the rabbit on the tricks. Silly rabbit, tricks are kids. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's different. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, and I forget even which one corresponds to which, but one is like a non-binary person who's attracted only to women and one's non-binary person who's attracted only to men. Yeah. Like I said, I have no idea how popular those actually are. My experience is more that like people will just call themselves queer. That's what I do. Like no, no one really needs to know that much about like how my experience of sexual attraction works. Like no one needs to know that much detail about it as I've thought about it in. So like I'm queer. And if you want to know more, like we can have a conversation totally fine, but it's, it's too much work otherwise. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. What else then would you say are like really important things for people to know or understand? Or what are frustrating questions you've been asked? I think the most frustrating thing to me is not even questions that I've been asked, but more the way that my identity sort of tends to just get absolutely steamrolled by people, which really ties in, I think, with like how important pronouns are. People will be like, well, I don't get why it's so important. Why do you care so much? I mean, what if uh, what if it's a matter of my identity to use grammatically correct language? Why, first of all? Like, I like grammar as much as the next person, probably more than most people. Like, I use grammatically correct language. I yeah, like grammar fact- more than the normal amount. <laughs> <laughs> like, the fact that your identity is that closely tied to not using singular they, them pronouns, what? Anyway. But yeah, I mean, I think that people don't always understand that it's just as bad to misgender a non-binary person as a binary trans person. I think people look at it differently because I have very frequently, like, more so been misgendered by, or maybe like not more so, but more noticeably, I guess, been misgendered by 
people, like allies, members of the queer community, trans people who would never misgender a binary trans person, who would view that as absolutely despicable and dehumanizing, who just like, and, and full knowing, like I've shared my pronouns, you know, I'll be wearing a pronoun pin. I've said my pronouns in the group introductions and people just don't see it as a big deal. Like people don't think, or they'll, you know, I've seen people have corrected binary trans Ha, here's a funny thing that happened to me in class a couple of years ago. I had introduced myself with they, them pronouns. And then there was someone else in the class who had introduced herself with uh, she, they pronouns. And so, and that's probably a thing you should talk about at some point too, I guess. But they had introduced themselves that way. And, you know, we're going through class and the teacher had misgendered her a couple of times and called her he. And a couple of people in the class are like, it's she. And I'm like, well, I mean, they did introduce themselves as she, they, so technically it's she or they, but like, okay, you know, whatever. And then like 10 minutes later, the teacher misgenders me and and nothing, not a single comment. Is it not as bad? Do you not think it's as bad? Do you just not care? Do you not think I'm really non-binary? Like, what are you saying with your silence here? Yeah, like they don't actually think that is a valid identity or something. Yeah, it makes me feel really crappy because I'm like, I don't know if you're saying this isn't a valid identity just in general, if you think it's a a less important identity than a binary trans identity, or if you just think it's me. Like, is it just me? Do you think I'm not non-binary enough? Like, do I not present masculinely enough for you to think that it's worth correcting someone when they misgender me? Like, and I've I've also had experiences where there have been people who will get other non-binary people's pronouns correct and then misgender me. I'm like, this makes me feel really crappy, guys. Yeah, I can see that. That's interesting. It is not quite hit the level of, to the extent that binary trans people have hit a level of acceptance. Non-binary is not quite there yet. Yeah, and it's this thing that I've talked about, I think, multiple times on here about kind of different kinds of privilege because, you know, I'm less likely to get beat up for being trans than a binary trans person, probably, who at least is at least someone who's visibly trans. But I'm a lot more likely to just have my pronouns completely disregarded to sort of be talked over in that regard. And yeah, it's not cute, guys. So you mentioned that you were going to say something about this or that we should talk about this. And I think that's a really good point because I had to ask you about this not that long ago. When somebody says, I go by she, they pronouns, explain. Yeah. So it varies from person to person first. So if it's someone you know decently, it's probably worth asking like, hey, when you say she, they pronouns, what exactly do you mean by that? Is it you want to go by they, them pronouns for the most part, but you're also sort of acknowledging a more feminine side of your identity. Do you want me to be working to sort of split it equally? Because it does, it does vary. And it means different things to different people. But yeah, in general, I think it's just a way of expressing, I identify with femininity or masculinity, but not in such a way that it defines my gender identity. So, I mean, if you imagine gender as a spectrum, you've got like male, non-binary, female. Like if you are using she, they pronouns, you probably identify somewhere kind of between non-binary and female. And again, it's very complicated. Like people will probably have poured a ton of thought and energy into like what is going to, 
you know, what what feels most comfortable to me? What is the best way of expressing my gender identity to the people around me? Because fundamentally, that's what pronouns are about, right? Like, it's a way of conveying information to other people. But long story short, my go-to is if someone introduces themselves with he, she, he, she, I guess that's probably a thing some people do, but he, they, or she, they, or even like all pronouns like he, she, they, my go-to is just to try to alternate between them as best I can. And it's weird. It feels weird, especially at first. It took me a while to get used to it. And, you know, I generally, if I use a pronoun multiple times in one sentence, I'll you know, you saw me do it earlier, right? They introduced themselves this way. But just being mindful of it and mixing it up. And again, if it's someone you're close to, talk to them and be like, hey, what's the way I can best reflect your gender identity in in the language I use about you? So when people say like, well, so why? So what's the point of that? Like complicating it that much? Is that just like, does it come down to just that difference between gender identity and gender expression that like you identify as like maybe if you're she they you identify as non-binary but you prefer to express yourself in a more feminine way it's genuinely not a thing that i feel that qualified to answer because that's not because really it's not an experience you. yeah it's not an experience that i've had that's my best understanding but I'm sure there are people who would describe it differently. So yeah, I mean, when it really comes down to it, the most important thing is that when someone tells you the language that they want to have used about them, respect it because it might feel weird and it might be hard and it might be a little bit confusing, but ultimately it's a matter of respect and it's showing the person that you care about them. And to me, at least, I would hope to most people, that's more important than any kind of struggle on my part. Yeah. I mean, that's really what this comes down to, right? Like we're going to try and help people understand all of this, but bottom line is even if you don't, even if you listen to all of this and you don't understand, you don't have to understand to do something so simple as using the pronoun somebody asks you to use just to make them work. Like how does it hurt you? Right. Yes. And it's like, yeah, I mean, (laughs) There are plenty of identities out there that I do not understand at all. And sometimes, again, like like I said with the example of like identifying as a non-binary lesbian, that, especially when I first heard it, made me feel a little bit uncomfortable, mostly out of fear that it would be applied to me without my consent. I've said this about the term envy, too. Like, I, I hate it. Don't call me that. But I don't have to understand why someone uses a particular term, like ultimately, if it's not doing any damage, or if the damage it's doing is only because of the assumptions that other people make, and not because of anything inherently wrong with the thing itself, it's not my problem. My problem is not with the other queer person. My problem is with the straight people who can't be bothered to make an effort. I wonder if it's like they just find all of this so scary and threatening. Because, I mean, ultimately it does threaten sort of their, you know, traditional hierarchies and systems and all of the patriarchal stuff. Maybe it's so threatening and scary that acknowledging it to the extent of like using those pronouns, you're admitting that it exists. If you do that, and that's just too terrifying. I don't. Yeah, well, I mean, I think... I mean, the reason that it's so threatening to men is very obvious because it undermines the entire hierarchy that they've built to maintain their own position of privilege in society. But I mean, I think for for a lot of women, you know, we've used the term trans exclusionary radical feminist here. Hi, J.K. Rowling. 
right? Like, there are a lot of women who growing up in the feminist movement, you know, 60s through 90s especially, I think, constructed their identity around womanhood is the inherently good thing. There is value in womanhood. And I hold that identity really dearly. And so the idea that it might not be, you know, really binary, that it's not that that someone might, quote unquote, renounce that identity, I think feels really threatening because, you know, you've had this this thing sort of forced upon you and you've learned to embrace it and accept it. And you know, I mean, there's there's some legitimate trauma there for a lot of people. And so to then have the structure that has created that trauma that you've done your best to work within and embrace, to have that then challenged and have people trying to destroy it, I think also feels really threatening. Yeah, I think so. And I can see how, you know, just as we're talking about pretending to be Black or calling yourself two-spirit when you're not Native American, you know, maybe to a lot of these feminist women, it feels like cultural appropriation when anybody they don't see as being female to them pretends to be female, wants in the club without being actually legitimately female. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing to me is that, I mean, because you see that argument all the time from people like J.K. Rowling, right, that these are, quote unquote, men who are trying to infiltrate women's spaces, but have gone through life without having to experience the trauma of being a, quote unquote, real woman, where that really falls apart to me, other than like the obvious kind of disregard for like respect and compassion and also like science, where that really falls apart to me is that like these people problem with like feminine gay men these are the same people who have like a gay best friend who are like oh i'll do your nails gay best friend so like you didn't have a problem with that what you would think would then also be an appropriation of femininity you just have a problem with respecting i think it's what it ultimately is is respecting the fact that maybe you don't have the most marginalized gender identity and there are plenty of women i think like There are obviously examples of sexism all over the place, and we are still dealing with all sorts of things like the least possibly qualified man can still win the presidency over like the most qualified woman. Obviously, there's some deep seated stuff that still exists. But I think there are also a lot of women that have grown up in households that very much tried to make it clear that women can do everything that men can do and watched mothers do everything men could do and haven't really been other than the like big picture sort of like meta existence of sexism in society haven't really directly been victims of explicit sexism and like I don't want to be called less of a woman because I haven't been explicitly discriminated against. It doesn't make me less feminine and it doesn't make me less of a feminist. So I think like to me saying, oh, because you haven't experienced the hard things about being female means you don't get to identify as female. Like you don't have to have traumatic experiences of sex discrimination to be a legitimate female. Right. If you're defining womanhood by sexism and what crappy things men have done to you, you're just doing what men want. You're just reinforcing the idea that womanhood is defined by what a man thinks of you. 
Also, trans women do experience sexism. It's absurd to say that trans women don't experience sexism because the violence that gets directed at feminine queer men is ultimately rooted in like hatred of women and hatred of femininity. So and even thinking that like the lowest thing a man could possibly do is be a woman, act like a woman, right? And so, I mean, the people who view trans women as just like girly men are ultimately still expressing misogyny. And then if a trans woman is passing as a cis woman, if people aren't looking at her and saying, oh, she's trans, she is then experiencing the exact same level of misogyny as any other woman on the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack there. We just fully went off on a tangent a little (laughs) bit, I think. But yeah, it's again... That circles us back to just respect people's identities. It does not really affect you to respect their identity. Only way it affects people generally is, again, like I said earlier, by the dominant society then trying to like pit you against one another and say, look, that woman is stealing your rights, which no, like she's not. I just I think that that um, that when you just said that, like the society pitting people against each other, like that to me is also a really big part of the problem of why people resist. You know, when we say like, how hard is it to just use the right pronouns? But when society has created this us and them, this like culture war thing, this wokeness thing, no, I'm not going to call them by woke pronouns. That has become a like, I don't care if it's the polite thing to do. I'm no, I'm not doing that. Right. Again, something I've talked about before is that like from a constitutional perspective, no, you can't be legally obligated to use someone's pronouns. Probably not a constitutionally defensible position. But that doesn't mean it's not the decent thing to do. And it doesn't mean I can't judge you for not doing it because you're being crappy just to prove a point. There are plenty of things the Constitution doesn't say you can't do that are rude. Right? I'm sure we can come up with a lot of rude things that the Constitution does not explicitly forbid. Right. Like, then the funny thing is, these are the same families that it'd be like, you have to hug grandma. You have to say, excuse me. You have to do this and this and this and this and like created this really strict set of social rules. But then as soon as you ask them to respect marginalized identities, they're like, you can't make me do that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of families, I think that is a great lead in to next week's topic. Since the holidays are coming up and people are going to be spending a lot of time around extended family who don't always agree, we are going to discuss some of the common things that are alleged by people who might have bought into certain culture war talking points. And just basic, like, don't start a fight, don't be insulting, don't like turn it into a culture war thing, but just some basic facts that if it's the right situation that you can just meet, you know, like if somebody said something very blatantly like Hawaii is part of Asia. Actually, Hawaii is a U.S. state. Sometimes it helps me to stay calm if I have some facts to just like calmly. Or, you know, you can even be like, actually, you know what I just read? So you don't sound confrontational. You're just like, here's an interesting thing, you know? So we're just going to talk about some of those tools hopefully can be helpful when that relative that everybody seems to have makes some statement. That's not true. That's inflammatory. That's harmful. 
Yeah, it's going to be a fun adventure because I can take the most non-confrontational sounding thing and like unintentionally make it sound confrontational. So, you know, we'll see how it goes, but I hopefully it'll be more helpful to those of you out there who maybe don't have resting bitch face or are better at weaponizing your feminine wiles, as they say in debate. Yeah, there are varying levels of, of success with the staying calm part. It's not even that I can't stay calm. It's that even when I'm perfectly calm and trying to be perfectly chill and really respectful, it still comes across like I'm being a jerk. Mm, yeah. Well, and for me, it doesn't last. Like if I throw out a fact and then somebody's like, that's not true, then like it all falls apart. So, however, we want to give you the tools to at least start the project with. So success may vary. <laughs> exactly. Asterisk. Results may vary. I also am going to be hopefully sometime in the next week or so recording another story for the Patreon. This one actually will be for the Patreon. So, you know, if you want to have more of my mellifluous voice, you're going to actually have to subscribe, which would be very cool. Like we said, I think our lowest tier is $2 a month. That is a mere $24 in a year. It's not that much and it would be really helpful for us. So I haven't decided what I'm going to be reading yet. I'm leaning towards maybe a story from, oh, I believe 1600s China called a male Mencius's mother or possibly the Supreme Court decision in Obergefell v. Hodges from 2015. Yes, these are completely different things with completely different tones. No, I will not be elaborating. So stay tuned for that. All right. In the meantime, take care, be kind, be polite, use people's pronouns, and we will catch you next time. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, interesting, or just mildly amusing, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us to get the word out there and spread this information as far as we can. And as always, check out our website at QueerKidsStraightMom.com or visit us on Facebook, QueerKidsStraightMom, Instagram at QueerKid.StraightMom, or Twitter at QueerKidSTR, the number eight mom. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider joining our Patreon by searching Queer Kids Straight Mom. It helps us fund this podcast.